0: And at this time, we'll invite the ushers to come forward to receive the offering. As they do, run over a few of the announcements for the upcoming days. Um, Just a note about Children's Church. If you have sixth graders and you come second service, the sixth graders go in with junior high out in the bus. If you bring sixth graders first or third service, they just want you to know... You can put them in with the fourth and fifth graders or, um, you know, you're welcome to always bring them into church as well. So just a note for you sixth grade parents. Our college and career fellowship meets tonight at seven o'clock in the fellowship hall. And so if you're that age between, oh, you know, 18 and 30 and you'd like to fellowship with some other people, spend some time in the Word, uh, you're invited to come out for that group. Our high school girls group meets today during third service out in the bus so um, if that applies to you or or one of your daughters um, get them out there for that today is the day for our villa valencia outreach Um, we go over to the villa valencia home and a church service is put on for the people and then We visit the people who would like to have people looking in on them, and it's a blessing, and I would encourage you to try it sometime. There's information in the foyer as to how that works and where it is. Today at 2 o'clock in the fellowship hall, our Wisdom Seekers group has a guest speaker, Mr. Bruce Seavers, who describes himself as an American in love with his country. He's a patriotic, motivational speaker, really... Um, I understand a great communicator. He's been doing this for a lot of years. And so uh, 2 o'clock today, anyone is invited to come and join in 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 that time. This Saturday, the men's ministry meets at 8 o'clock in the fellowship hall. And this Saturday night at 7 o'clock, the couples fellowship meets. And this week for the couples fellowship, as they've been going through the His Needs, Her Needs book They're on his needs uh, for admiration, and so uh, come on out for that, you couples. Keep in mind, May 4th through the 6th is a uh, couples retreat at the Ayers Hotel in Costa Mesa, so for you couples, get that on your calendar, and more information and sign-ups will be forthcoming. Also. Next Sunday is the time change, I believe, and so I forgot to mention at first service, but the thing is, if first service people forget the time change, they just end up coming to second service, so if you guys miss, you'll just be at third service, so don't sweat it. If you really need, if you don't want to lose sleep, just come to the later service or whatever, but it is, that is next week when we spring forward, and so... uh, keep that in mind. It might help you. For people who have gone to Calvary Costa Mesa, it's really confusing because Pastor Chuck would never let the government rob them of an hour's sleep. So whenever it was this time, he would just go, forget it. Let's just change our clocks after church instead of before church. But it never worked. The truth is, I did that for 30 years of my life, and still every year people would be, they would turn it an hour the wrong direction. or they, So just Let's just conform and whatever. Come to church when you want. Personally, I'd rather lose an hour of sleep than an hour of my Sunday afternoon nap anyway. So, uh, but next, next week is that time change. Just make a note of that and remember it. Also, this last Friday, um, a big event happened, something that we're going to celebrate this week. But many of you know Edith Ray. Um, Of course, the Ray family, if you look around here anywhere, you'll see them somewhere, and they're involved in every aspect of ministry here. But Edith got her wake-up call on Friday morning from heaven and woke up in the presence of the Lord, and we're so excited for her. At the same time, hey, it's tough. We're going to miss her, and we want to have a time, I believe. Is it Friday night for sure, Michael, or is it still... Okay, Um, we're thinking of Friday night for a memorial service here. Um, Keep that in prayer, and you're all welcome to come and remember this special, special woman. Um, Everything will be nailed down over the next couple days, so if you'd like to come for that, just call the church office like Tuesday or Wednesday just to confirm for sure that that's the time. But, you know, Edith was... We saw her just starting to suffer in those stages of discovering that she had cancer, but no one really expected her to, to, to pass away this quick. And so no one was really ready for it except her, and she was the one taking the trip. And so God just lovingly, you know, her last breath here was her first breath in heaven. And, and we want to remind ourselves that if she matters to us, like all of our loved ones, we rejoice for her. And uh, so, but keep the rays in prayer this week. It's a it's a real adjustment when someone who's that kind of an anchor in your life is is taken away. And so, we have another reason to rejoice. We have another treasure in heaven. But uh, hold them up in prayer this week, and and please feel free to come on out on Friday night if in fact that's when we do the memorial service. Now let's turn in our Bibles to Philippians chapter four. We're again in Philippians 4, 8. It just seems like we can't get past this verse. It's, uh, those of you who have been around a while know, originally, my message for Sunday morning several weeks, a couple months ago, was going to be just Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9. Then I cut it to 8, then I cut it to a third of 8, and then it was about a fifth of 8. And while we're finally winding it down, I actually made it through verse 8 in the first service this morning, so and we'll see what happens second service. But this verse, the reason I spent so much time on it is there's just so much here that I believe is critical to our walks with God, to our experiencing what He has for our lives. God has just spoken to me so much personally from going over this verse, and I had this verse memorized when I was a little kid. It's easy to, to go through the on the surface the concepts of the verse but when you delve into it a little and especially because it's a verse about meditation that is thinking and contemplating deeply you 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 sink deeper into this verse i've found that there are more and more layers of what god wants to show us in the verse i i honestly could spend another few months on it and it would be fine but i would like to finish philippians someday and so We'll wrap the discussion up. It's a a question really of how should we be thinking? He says, he gives us this list, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Meditation means to contemplate and think seriously about, to to plumb the depths of the ramifications, to look at your life and compare it to these values. It's a a great and, and critical activity for us to learn how to meditate, to learn how to reflect and contemplate our lives. Socrates said that the unexamined life is not worth living. That is, if you live your life and you're not even thinking about what it means, if you live your life and you're not paying attention to it, you're missing the point of what life is about. You're missing the experience that ultimately is life. And so, as we've been talking for the last several weeks, what do we think What do we need to deliberately reflect on that'll help us to move in the direction that God wants to take us? Now, in some ways, this verse 8, the key word is probably meditate, but there's actually another word that's perhaps, even as I was thinking about it this week, there's another word that might be the key word for this verse. It's used six times in the verse, and it's that word whatever whatever things are true, whatever things are noble. The word whatever, nowadays it's become a term that kind of means, oh, whatever. You know, it's, it, it's a way to end an argument. Look, I, I don't want to argue with you, but I also don't really care what you have to say, so I'll tap out and just go, whatever. It's not the best way to end a discussion, frankly. My wife doesn't appreciate it if when she is trying to get a point across and I have a different point, for me to trump the argument by going, whatever, isn't something that she takes as very endearing because it's basically saying, I'm marginalizing you. I don't really even need to hear what you have to say, and I don't care if you want to think that you're right and I'm wrong, then have at it, whatever, but this this word here it's a it's a pronoun of extent it's a it's a word that means as far as as much as following it to the end of the road it's often the the most times it's translated in the new testament is most or many but the idea of whatever it's kind of like what we would use in english grammar with an ellipsis where where or you know how you at the end of a series of things you put three periods and it means it goes on and on that's kind of the idea here is he saying get on that path and follow it to its conclusion take it to its fullest extent and so when he says whatever things are true it's like saying, will you take your life to a place whereby whatever it takes, you're going to face the truth? And we talked a few weeks ago, this word true literally means not secret. So how much am I willing to, how, how much can I will myself as much as I can to say the secrets are going to be uncovered in my life because I really want what's true. I really want to face reality Whatever, wherever it goes, whatever's a scary word because by virtue of the definition of the word, we don't know where it's going to take us. But meditating on the things of God is placing our lives in a place where we say, I'll go where you want me to go, I'll follow you. We'll carry this through to its conclusion. So whatever is true, and then we talked about whatever is noble or worshipful. I'll bring myself to the point of seeing heaven for what it is. I'll face the reality of the truth here and now for me. But I'm also going to carry myself into the presence of God and the worship of him and to who he is and what he is. Whatever is just. That which is fair. It's saying, you know what? I will listen and consider. I will look at all of the points of view and all of the evidence. I want to be fair saying whatever is just is saying, I'm not going to stack the deck. I'm not going to cheat with my life. I'm not going to just believe what I want to believe. I, I'm going to be fair about this. We talked last week also about purity and what it means to, to allow God to take those particulates out of our lives, those polluters, those things that would would, would cause us to be less like Jesus and really what it is to reflect a, a purity of life, what it is to, to be cleansed by His Spirit, by His sacrifice for us. And we also saw last week, whatever is lovely, following the path of love, following the path of saying, I want my life to be an atmosphere where love can thrive, where love works, I want that to reflect from my life. I want to bring that influence into the lives of others so that beauty and loveliness, love itself, is something that is just a part of the decoration of what my life is. But now this week, as we've, as we've come to whatever things are of good report and virtue and praiseworthy, we finish up this list of meditations, really, Good report. The word, the Greek word here for good report is the word euphemos. Now, you know, you might understand that the word eu, eu, in the Greek is a word that means good. It's talking about quality. For instance, when someone dies and there's a eulogy, it's eu meaning good and logos meaning word. Someone says a good word about it or good reasoning about it but you famous, is good and then famous or famous means famous that's what it, it's just tr- transliterated the idea is uh, it, with this with this word for famous is what is it that comes across what is it that you are remembered by characterized by what message are you sending out what is it that that people will remember you for And using this word for good report, there are really two aspects of it, two elements that are important to consider. One of them is, what message am I sending? So if people listen to me, what and who am I making famous? What am I presenting as the message for my life? You're familiar with the term gospel. We usually say gospel means good news and it does. The word gospel in the New Testament is usually the Greek word euangelon, good angel message. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves is, is the message that I'm giving a message of what's good? Am I presenting good news? Or is there a way that I communicate about life that makes it look like everything is bad news? That makes it look horrible? The flip side of what you do to make something famous is what makes you famous? What is it about you that people will walk away with as their impression? What is it that people will remember you for? Because ultimately, we're all famous to someone. Oh, we may not be famous to as many people as the TV celebrities may be, but in reality, we all leave an impression We all leave a message, a communicated quality concept about who we are. And what Paul is saying here, when we're thinking, when we're meditating, when we are reflecting and self-examining ourselves, what message are you sending? Now, there are some of us that most of what we have to say is about what's wrong. We're just critical. I think that's a part of our nature for most of us. And, you know, you could see how it works. If, if someone comes up and says to me, Dave, how are you doing? They're, they're really wondering what's wrong with me. They want to hear what's the matter. And if they've been following my ongoing saga the last few weeks of my shoulder and neck being uh, uncomfortably sore, then they really want to know, okay, is the shoulder better? Now, if someone comes up to me today and says, Dave, how are you? I probably don't say, my knees feel great, ankles seem fine, stomach's not upset, it's great, had a, you know, no, usually my attention is focused on what's wrong with me, which at the moment is my shoulder. And, you know, my attention also gets focused on other things that have happened that didn't happen the way that I wanted them to. But how I talk about life gives people the impression not only of my perspective on life, but it gives them the impression of my perspective on God. Because if people know that I'm a child of God, they know that I believe in Him and serve Him, what do I make Him famous for? What do I cause people to notice about what He is doing? And way too often, I am making Him famous for the things that He isn't doing rather than for the things that he is. And then again, the flip side of that, what am I known for? What will I be remembered for? As you get older, you think about this a lot more. You think, I wonder what people really think of me. Now, when I was young, I didn't even worry about it because I just figured, number one, who cares? And number two, I have a lot of time. I can always turn this thing around at some point. So, you know, when I was younger, it didn't really disturb me that much that people would generally, if they were thinking of me, they would mainly think of, oh, yeah, Dave's goofing around. Or, you know, he's really good at insulting people and making fun of them. Or, he, you know, And I was like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> you know, and that was, it was okay for me to be famous like that. But, you know, as you get older, you start to think, I want to leave a lasting impression of a legacy that means more than just that. And we can think of this when we lose someone that we love and we think, okay, what do I remember most? What stands out about this person? I was thinking of this this weekend as we said as Edith Ray went to be with the Lord. What is my image of her? What was... What's she famous, because she's famous to me. What's she famous for? And I think her devotion to her family is just unbelievable. Her tolerance of her husband, Ken. <laughs> you know, at, at the same time, though, I, I think the, the thing that if I was going to put a brand on it, it would be that sparkle in her eye, that, that look of just, she, she had this way of, she had this certain look that was like a schoolgirl almost, just this free sort of, you know, just a, a glow that she would have. And then also the thing I'll never, ever forget is the last time I was with her a few days ago, she was, and Edith was always this way, she's a real hugger, but she's somebody who would hug you longer than was comfortable, <laughs> you know? It was like, okay, <laughs> I get it. Now, can I leave? And... You know, but I I think how how much that is like the Lord, whereby he comes to us, and he goes, come here, and we're going, oh, yeah, and then we get past that surface thing, and we go, this isn't someone who's just trying to give me a courtesy hug, this is somebody who's going, no, you're going to let this soak in a little bit, you're going to live with that. Now, that's something for me that someone can be famous for, but it forces me to ask myself, and I hope for you to ask yourselves too, what are you famous for? What will people say about you when you're not here anymore? What do people say about you behind your back? (laughs) Which is just as good, just as accurate. Now, very few people will be honest with you and so you have to pay attention. But in moments of self-reflection, I think each of us need to come to this point where we say, what am I famous for? And what is the message? How am I making what happens famous to others? How am I communicating that? Am I the type of person who, when someone talks to me, they're going to hear the good things that God is doing? Because, again, if I'm complaining all the time, I'm really promoting what he isn't doing instead of what he is doing if the only thing that people knew about God is what they see in me, what would they think of God? Would they see God as someone who is to be worshipped? Do they see God as someone who sincerely loves them, passionately wants to spend time with them, wants to be with them in eternity? Or would their perception of God through the way I make him famous be that he's angry and upset or Basically, that he likes the same stuff I like and hates the same things I hate. Do I want to make him famous for being like me? Or do I want to make him famous for being incredibly superior to me? And if we're going to face the truth and in meditating and asking ourselves the tough questions, we have to enter into that point of self-revelation really and self-discovery where we open our lives up to the Lord and say, God... Would you show me? What do people see when they see me? What am I known for? And what am I letting other people know? What is it that that I talk about? When I talk to someone, what's the first thing that they say to me? Because often the first thing that they say to me will show what they think is most important to me. And so if every time I see someone, the first thing they say is, so what do you think the Dodgers' chances are this year? Spring training, what do you, or how about those Lakers? You think they're going to make the playoffs, or man, so did you see the UFC last night or whatever? It's, it shows that somehow I've sent out a message that, yeah, that's what matters most. Whatever, wherever, get on that path that says, I want to be a good reporter, not fluffing things over, not pretending. Remember, we started with whatever things are true. But the truth is, God is good and he's doing good things. Is that what we share? Is that our perspective? But he goes on to say, not only what's of good report, but if there's anything virtuous. Virtue is a word that we kind of throw out there as meaning just generally good, the English word for virtue is the, from the Latin word virtus, which means to act like a man. The word ver, V-I-R in Latin, is, is the word for man. But in the Greek, the word used for virtue here was a, a pretty evolved, complex concept of the quality of a person's character. In the Greek mind, they boiled virtue down to four what they called cardinal virtues, and they felt that on these four pillars developed the quality of what life is supposed to be like. And so they would say that the four cardinal virtues, and these were very common in, in Greek times, and the Greek philosophers Socrates and Plato talked about these incessantly. But, but when they would see the word virtue, they would think in terms of temperance, which means self-control, self-discipline, prudence which is an old Beatles song now, but it's also prudence means to use wisdom and to think about what you're doing, pay attention, notice. The third cardinal virtue was fortitude. That means courage and, and bravery. And then ultimately, the fourth cardinal virtue was justice, being fair, doing the right thing, giving everyone a fair chance. Now, in the Greek mindset, when they would use the word virtue, they were taking all of these concepts and talking about integrating them into your life in such a way that you are the real deal, that you balance these qualities of life in a way that makes you a complete, well-rounded person. And and so to talk about meditating on virtue would mean something special to them. Now, there are certain people who's, who argued against that notion, and and, uh, the philosopher Nietzsche ended up building a whole, I mean, he built a whole doctrine around the cardinal virtues, and his idea was it's impossible to do this, and Nietzsche said that these cardinal virtues are mutually, um, you know, independent or actually mutually exclusionary, that is, You can't possibly have all four of them, and Nietzsche would say, pick one and go for that. That's the best you're going to do. Now, in the early church, the Christians developed their own concept, a related concept of virtue, but they did it around what they called the Christian virtues, and those are those three qualities that we see mentioned in 1 Corinthians 13. Now abide, faith, hope, and love, these three. And so the Christians took this concept of an integrated totality of person a balance of quality and and then they said basically you can describe it you know not as the Greeks did but faith hope and love is what it comes down to so when it says to think about virtue it's talking about looking honestly in the mirror and saying how well-rounded am I how accurately does my life reflect these characteristics, these qualities, these values? Is there something missing? And in our personal meditations, it's so important for us to ask that question, to take the picture of virtue, and then to look in the mirror, and to ask ourselves, what's missing? Now, if you need to have balance. There are two ways to do it. Sometimes you get out of balance because, well, there are certain things that you overemphasize. But the easiest way to balance something isn't by taking away what's there. It's by increasing. Back in the old days when we used to balance tires the old way, um, nowadays they have the fancy electronic devices that do it, The, the... it hasn't really changed that much. So, but what happens is you can't make a perfect rim for a car. So the problem is when a rim is out of balance, the tire will vibrate and thump. It wears unevenly. Um, it's not as quiet. And so what they do, they have these, they're able to buy, nowadays they do it by spinning the tire. But back when, when I, in the dark ages when I was working on cars, you just set the tire on this thing and there was a level and you would take little lead weights and hammer them on the edge of the rim to balance off the parts that were uneven. And ultimately, the goal is by adding some weight, I bring balance, and now the thing can spin. Well, that, if I haven't lost you completely on that, on that metaphor. Um, ultimately, that's kind of what we're doing as our lives are spinning down the road as Christians, we need to be looking for things that aren't quite right, things that aren't quite, well, they're shaken instead of smooth. And to say, okay, God, what do you want to do in my life that's going to bring this balance of virtue? And maybe as I look and I go, I'm pretty good about faith, but hope has been lacking. Or I have a lot of faith and quite a bit of hope, but love for me is not what I'm famous for. And I go, okay, let's add a little weight in that area. Let's try to bring our life into balance in terms of the virtues. Let's not be cartoon characters who are ridiculously extreme in one area and then horribly deficient in another area. I want my life to be the life that God has designed it to be and as a result to have that virtue. And so Paul would say, be thinking about that. Be paying attention to that. Take your life seriously. Allow God to develop you in the areas where you may be coming up short to develop that virtue that he so wants to be a part of your life. And then finally, as we finish off the list, he says, if there's anything praiseworthy, literally just if there's anything of praise. To praise God means to give him credit for what he does, It means to thank him, to honor him for his goodness, everything good that's about him. Now, we sometimes hear that you should be thanking God in everything and for everything, and we need to praise at all times, and often that's a tough concept to grasp. The truth is it's pretty easy for me to praise God when he does things that to me are good things. Like I can look back at my life over the last week, and I can think of some great things that God did for me this week. Some things went really well. And so I praise Him for that. But there were some other things that happened this week that were just devastating, that are, that are painful and, and hurtful. And I, and I just go, okay, what I need to do is just concentrate on the good stuff. And so often the way we try to praise God is we go, well, on the one hand, look at all this good stuff that happened. On the other hand, let's balance it out. There was bad stuff that happened. Overall, let's try to get the scale over to where we can praise God. But do you understand what that says ultimately? What that says is I'm going to praise God when he does things that I like. And when God does things that I don't like, I'm going to try to balance it out, but I'm not going to praise him for that. So ultimately, what am I doing in the final analysis? I'm creating God in my image. I'm deciding that when God agrees with me, hey, we're in there. But when God disagrees with me, look out. It's, that's not a good thing at all. We need to come to the point in our lives where we realize there are no bad things, And God should be praised because he knows what he's doing and everything that he's doing has a purpose and ultimately is a good thing. He doesn't do bad things to us. I can't be the measure of what's good because if I'm the measure of what's good and therefore what I am going to praise him about, if I'm going, okay, think of something to praise God about, think, think, there must be something, and then really all I'm doing is praising me all I'm doing is praising the thing, the times where God agreed with me. But I'll tell you, the greatest form of praise is when you praise God when he does something that you don't like. He does something that you weren't ready for. He does something that causes pain to come into your life. He allows you to come into a difficulty. Anyone can praise God when they win the lottery. Anyone can praise God when they, you know, this week, wow, great things happened. But the ultimate sign of faith is to praise God when you don't get it, when you don't understand, when God doesn't do things your way. And ultimately, that is what will take us to a higher level of fellowship with Him, even the fellowship of His sufferings, when we can praise Him for the difficulties and the problems, because as I praise Him, I'm saying, it's not about me. I'm saying, I'm not the measure of all things. Now, I have to take praise wherever it will go, whatever, wherever, for as much as, as far as. I'm going down that road of praise, and I want to stay on that road of praise. It's not easy. I think one of the most amazing examples of praise in the Bible was Job. As he lost everything, he lost his business, lost all of his employees, his servants, his house, and ultimately his children were lost. And as he heard the last bit of news that everything that mattered to him had been destroyed, it says that he fell on his face and he worshiped God. And he said, naked came I into the world and naked will I return. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Praising God in that kind of a situation is not easy. It's purely an act of the will. But in that act of your will, of my will, we are saying, I choose to praise God. Praising God isn't a feeling. It's a choice. It's an action. It's a response. And if we can't do anything else, we can do that. Last night, I was trying to get to sleep, and I was just uncomfortable, and things were going through my mind. I was thinking about all of the things that happened this week that upset me or that hurt me, and I was just thinking, how am I going to get to sleep? I have to teach in the morning, and I need some sleep, and I'm just... And so I thought, okay, I'll just pray about these things. And so I started going through people I was concerned for, situations that were difficult, trials that had come across my path, and I began to pray, and I, I didn't feel any better at all. I I had prayed about all these things already, and it was still just reminding me that much more of how messed up things were. And then I thought, well, I better work on my message. And so I just, in my mind, I started going through the outline of my message for this morning, and I came to praise, and I realized that's what's missing for me right now. There are a lot of things that have happened that to me are challenges, that to me are, are wrong I'm going to praise God for them and so all of those things that were painful to me I just began to praise God for and at first it kind of started like this God I I praise you because this happened and I know you're going to work it out and it's going to be better and everything's going to be fine and then I go wait a minute I don't need to make excuses for God and I just began to say God I praise you for this trial I praise you for this pain. I praise you for this situation. I, I praise you for what you've done. And next thing I knew the alarm was going off. And I had a had a peaceful night's sleep. Because I I made that choice. I wasn't feeling it. Really wasn't. But I made the choice to praise God, to take that path wherever it would go, in my meditation, in my consideration, in my awareness of who I am and of who God is, after working my way through this verse, reflecting, meditating on truth, nobility and worship, on justice and purity and love, on good fame, virtue, Finally, reduced to praise, reduced to just saying, God, there's a lot of things I don't know, but I know you're good. I know that you are absolutely in control, and I'm glad you're running this world instead of me. God, half of my prayers are me trying to talk you into doing things my way, but right now I'm just saying, God, you're so genius, you know exactly what's best you know what's best for me and for people I care about. And so, good job, God. Way to go. I praise you for what you've done. Ultimately, it's our decision to either live our lives pursuing after real value or squandering our lives on things that don't matter, fooling ourselves, deceiving ourselves into being distracted enough that we can handle life, Or saying, God, give it to me straight. I want to know the real deal. I want to know who I am. I want to know who you are. I want to walk fairly. I don't want to cheat and stack the deck. I want to live a life that is devoted to you, reflecting on you. God, I want to make you famous for who you really are. I want to be remembered for the good that you've done in my life. Lord, I'm going to praise you. And if you can make me a well-rounded person of virtue, I'll praise you for that. The extent to which you've done it, God, it's all you. It's because of you, and Lord, you're good. So for each of us, that this verse, that question, those questions float around there in our minds. We decide, are we going to live a self-examined life Are we going to live a life where we open ourselves up and say, give it to me straight? I want to face the truth. No more secrets, no more games. I want what's real in my life. Is that the way we're going to live? And if we are, we need to ask ourselves the tough questions. And I would encourage you, if you haven't memorized this verse already, write it down on a card and take it with you sometime. And just set aside a half hour to look at this verse, Philippians 4, 8, and ask yourself some questions that you don't want to answer. Ask yourself some questions that if someone else asked you, you'd be really ticked off at them. But you're going, God, it's just me and you. I trust you. Lord, lead me to the tough questions so that I can get the answers that are gonna cause my life to, to become more balanced, to become more reflective of your virtue and your love and your truth. The alternative to this kind of meditation to going wherever as far as he can take you is to stick your head in the sand and spend the rest of your life pretending and playing games. I don't want to do that. Life is too short for that. For me, and I hope for you, I want to trust God enough that I will honestly reflect on those tough questions and that I will help I will ask him to help walk me through those and, and to lead me to the to the answers that I need to see. And that's ultimately all this verse is saying. It's, it's listing a lot of things that are difficult for us. And it's saying, listen, do whatever it takes to think about this. Again, as we talked about in the beginning where Paul said, this world is trying to conform you. But he said, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Either you and I will be conformed to this world, we'll get more like them, more like what's wrong with this world, more like who we are, or we will allow God to transform us as we meditate on his truth as we allow him to take us through the tough questions wherever they lead, and as we begin to reflect on those issues and those questions, God changes us. He transforms us. And that's what he wants to do for each of us. Please, life is too precious for us to just put blinders on and just move as fast as we can. This gift that we have of life this gift that we have of a relationship with the living God, it's, you cannot put a value on it. But it's a life that involves getting on a path and saying, okay, I'll take this. I'll ask these questions. I'll wrestle with these issues. Don't settle for anything less. Let's pray. Lord, some of these words are fine on the surface. We can read this verse, and if we go through it fast enough, it just seems like a poster quote. But man, when we slow down, some of these values are, are disturbing. We are discovering things about ourselves that we don't really want to see. But God, whatever... And however far it takes and however much we need to go through, Lord, would you help us to live meditative lives? Would you help us to to pay attention and to focus, to ask ourselves and to allow you to ask us the difficult questions? And for us to be satisfied, not even to know the answers, but to realize those questions are key. God, do your work by your Spirit in our lives. The way only you can, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand.